0: And I just briefly looked at it. And he had just returned from Myanmar. And I can't spell Myanmar right now. I'm not sure how it's spelled. And I don't know where Myanmar is. Um, we'll talk about that later, Daniel. But, 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 but God does. God knows exactly where Myanmar is. So apparently Myanmar is in a civil war right now. I didn't know that either. And this civil war is very grievous. It's, it's tearing the country Apart And people, it's dangerous to move about. And it's really dangerous to, to, to gather as believers in, to, to assemble to sing the praises of the Lord and to hear the word preached for many reasons. And it's, the conditions are difficult and it's hard to find food. And yet he sent me a picture of about ten people squatted on the ground and it's exactly what they were doing. They had also said... We believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that He died for my sins, and that He rose the third day. The work of God to bring all of His elect to Himself is an amazing thing. So that we can say with those in Revelation five, "Thou art worthy to receive honor and glory and power, for Thou wast slain and has redeemed us by Thy blood, out of every nation and kindred and tongue and people." Be encouraged. Be encouraged that God is faithful, the covenant God to His children. So praise the Lord today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Ask His blessings upon the Word. Father, thank You so much for letting us be a part of this day and to witness Your work, the work of Your grace, which abounds to us in Jesus Christ. Father, it, it gives us hope that all of Your promises, therefore, are true so that we can also hope then, Lord, that Jesus Christ the same one who died and rose again, that this same Jesus will be faithful to His promise to return again, to ransom our vile bodies out of the grave, and to establish His throne that will be unmistakable, and praise will abound from shore to shore in the new heavens and the new earth without any hints of a negative tone. So, Father, we look and hope to You and to Your promises and to the faithfulness of Your Son, Jesus Christ, today. Father, help us as we open Your Word now to receive from Your Word, Your words, even today, the words of Jesus to us. Help us receive these gladly and deep into our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to read this morning from Mark chapter 10. This, this, this These thoughts this morning have coalesced as I knew we were going to have, be having this baptism of this young lady today and then from a conversation I had last Sunday. So I want to t- speak to you from Mark chapter 10. I'll just tell you if you want to do some study on this or some reference, this account is also brought to us in Matthew chapter 19 and Luke chapter 18. So I'm going to pull from some of those today, but I'm not going to read those, but Matthew, uh, Mark 10 is where we will be reading from. Mark 10 verses 13 and following. So Mark chapter 10. And they, that's the parents, they brought young children to him, to Jesus, that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms and put his hands upon them and blessed them. The account in Matthew chapter 19 gives us a little bit more uh, picture of what's occurring here. Jesus has left Galilee and he enters into Judea along the coast of Jordan, and he begins this ministry of healing and so because Jesus is healing people of uh, dreaded diseases in miraculous way, in miraculous ways, you can imagine what occurred. Great multitudes follow him. I don't know what what your you know the picture in your mind, your imagination is of the ministry of Jesus, um, but it's not like me this morning. It's not like a people gathered in a civil and organized way uh, with Jesus standing before them with a microphone and a suit and a tie and his hair fixed and um, and the people were quietly just listening to what was happening. It was nothing like that at all. Most of the public ministry of Jesus, it, was, it would be much more accurate to imagine something that's quite chaotic and um, and quite loud, quite quite noisy, even raucous at times with all Almost all of the public appearances of Christ were like that. So just think about that. A a dusty loud, raucous, disorganized in many ways um, scene. I say disorganized in that there were, there were always people pressing against Jesus or people that were coming with all kinds of questions you might imagine. Maybe more like a press conference where they're shouting questions at, at Jesus and um, others are shouting for his attention in different ways. Well, this is one of those and to give even more context to this scene right here, um, what happens is as, as he is doing this healing, and these multitudes, these throngs, so thousands of people are hoarding around him. Just imagine that scene. He's surrounded by thousands of people who would want his attention. The Pharisees, of course, are also there. They're the ones who want to be the organized ones and keep this in, uh, in, 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 um, in an organized fashion, and they really want control of the scene. Um, because they don't like Jesus. He's a threat to them in so many ways. His words have pierced their facade. And so many times, his words have quieted their accusations. And so they come to him again. And this time, they come to him with this really age-old, very, very ancient, and yet very, very practical, and very, very thorny question that had been a matter of great debate among the Jews for generation after generation after generation, and we're talking, of course, about the problem of marriage and divorce. And so they question him about marriage and divorce, and Christ engages with them. And as he is engaging with them, his answers are are surprising, and they are authoritative, and they are thorough, and yet they're so uh, devastatingly um, clear and right and recognizably right that the disciples themselves are sort of flummoxed by them. And so they begin to ask Jesus questions themselves about this issue. And if that weren't wild enough, so this major theological question being engaged in amongst this thousands of people who are hoarding around Christ, desiring to be healed, if that weren't distracting enough, then you have, and just imagine this, not, not again, not well put together people. This is an uneducated area. This is, um, you know, you hear about the disciples that Christ called to himself. They were plain men, fishermen. Later they would take note of them that these are uneducated and poor people, but they've been with Jesus. So this kind of a, a crowd, and, and they're, they're, they're thrusting uh, this is how I envisioned I think this is how it was. They're, they're holding their children in their hands, and they're thrusting their children up towards Jesus, and they're pressing in. And if you've ever been to a, a country like this, um, there's not a lot of uh, diplomacy and good old southern etiquette that, that's there. In, in India, it really is amazing. I think I, I told you this before, but the first time I went there, um, we, we stopped at a McDonald's in, in the mall on the way after our long trip, so it's my first moments in India. It's already a sight and sounds and smells that are blowing your mind. And then you go to this mall and say, well, here's something that's like home. Uh, McDonald's, I so we just stand in line and try to looking at it. Of course, the, the menu's totally different. There's French fries. That's the only thing that's, that's similar. Um, and, and then you realize, I'm not getting any closer in line. And that's because everybody's passing you. And th- 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 there is no thought of line. They just go shouting at the counter and really don't care what the other person is doing. And that's how it, how it was. And so that's sort of like this scene. These parents are thrusting forth their children towards Jesus, and they're asking Him. And I wonder who is crying louder, the children or the parents? And they're asking Jesus to take their children and to pray over their children and to bless their children. And so the disciples rebuke um, these people, and then Jesus rebukes the disciples. So it's an amazing scene. In this scene, we have an angry Jesus and a very tender Jesus. In this scene, we see fervent anger and fervent blessing. We see two rebukes. We see faithful parents, and we see blessed children. So it's just an amazing scene. So I want to think through this with you for a few minutes. I'm going to look at really three sets of people. I want to first think about an angry Jesus and and rebuked disciples. And then we'll think about faith- Filled parents, and then finally we'll close. We're willing with thinking about the third people in this season in, the, in this in this scene: a tender Jesus and these blessed children. So an angry Jesus that you think, brother, that you're overstating your case. Listen to the listen to the, to the words. And when Jesus saw it, that is the rebuke. By the disciples of the parents were thrusting forth their children to him, and when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. The word "much displeased" is, a, is the much, "much" is a fervent. There's this fervent displeasure, anger is another word that this this root word is used for. A fervent anger that just rises up in Jesus. Now, again, he has not displayed fervent anger yet on this day. You would think that it would have occurred a long time ago. When the Pharisees come to him again with these same questions that are designed to trap him, when he is he, he, in this scene where he is just blasting forth his deity by raising people from incurable diseases by a word, by a touch, and by whatever it means he decides to use at that moment. So he is clearly displaying his deity It's not the first time, it's not the fifth time, it's the manyth time. And these people still are coming to find some spot in this one. Remember later we'll say, they hated me without a cause. Now, you would expect some fervent anger there, but that's not where the fervent anger is showed. This fervent displeasure is showed by Jesus. And by the way, Jesus is impeccable. So it wasn't like Jesus was getting tired as the day goes by and eventually his nerves are frayed and he just snaps like we do. That's not it. This is that pure, godly... (laughs) You can't get any more godly than Jesus. This is a pure, holy anger that arises from Jesus at this moment. There's only... Four, maybe five places in the scriptures where we see the anger of Jesus come out. You might think of some of these. One of those is when the temple, so you can get a picture of who Jesus was and how he thought. When the temple was being uh, marred by the money changers and Jesus goes in and he takes the the, the whip and he drives them out and he uproots the tables and turns over the the, the money bags. That's one place it was displayed as he says the zeal of his house had eaten him up. Another place is in Mark chapter 3. And by the way, with Jesus, this is interesting, you might think of this in terms of righteous anger, with Jesus, the moments where he was angry are usually joined to his grief. So anger and grief going side by side here. So in Mark 3, for example, we see this stated expressly. When Je- here's another scene. There's a man that walks into the synagogue with a withered hand. Ooh, what a scene. This man probably had, if withered, probably had been withered from birth. So probably his hand had never been much used to him, which meant that he was not very useful unless he was an educated man. No doubt he was not educated. And so his ability to labor, to provide, is compromised severely by his hand being withered. And so probably he was like a beggar, certainly a pitiful figure. And they, he is in the synagogue and the Pharisees are watching him. Not because they wanted to bless him, but they're watching him because they know who Jesus is. And they know that Jesus is likely to heal this guy. And so it says they are watching him to see if Jesus will heal him on the Sabbath day. You know what Jesus does? He heals him. And then they start spouting off. And it says Jesus became angry, grieved by their hardness of heart. Anger and grief of the hardness of heart for the mercy and the righteousness and the divinity of Jesus Christ. And then another place where Jesus' is grief, anger, it doesn't use the word anger, but it's the same root, root word, is, um, it is really a, a surprising place. It's really a beautiful place for you if you're, if you're a child of God and you want to know, I want you to see today the heart of Jesus and what Jesus really is like towards His people. Um, it really is unimaginably good. But in John 11 when Jesus will eventually heal Lazarus. But He hasn't healed Lazarus yet. And He's delaying this. Not delayed for a bad purpose, but delayed to display His glory. And He knows what will happen. But friends, the the Lord God eternal, who reigns, truly is a high priest who is touched with the feelings of your infirmities. more touched than you can imagine. So it says that when... and he's already told Martha what he's going to do, when he comes to the scene, and Mary and many Jews are weeping, it says, Jesus groaned within. And his spirit was troubled. And this groaning is this anger word. He's He's unsettled. He's groaning within. And it doesn't tell us exactly why he's angry there. But friend, I believe we can know that a God who is wholly righteous, every vestige of the curse, of the, of, the, of the effects of sin upon this world, grieve Jesus deeply, including hopeless grief that occurs when loved ones die. So every effect of the fall, the sadness, the, 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 the thought of, 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 of just aloneness, and the longing to be with the one whom you love. You know what I'm talking about. You've lost a loved one that you love dearly. Jesus is so touched that he groans in this angry display. And by the way, thank the Lord that he displays that he's able to do something about this sin curse problem, isn't he? He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead as a foretaste of his own resurrection from the dead and of your resurrection from the dead as well. Praise the Lord. Well, this is where anger is displayed from Jesus in the Bible. And here we have anger again. So let's think about this, and sort to of figure it out. You have some rebuked disciples here. <laughs> the question is, how does one go from, and really immediately from rebuking to being rebuked? That's a tough swing, isn't it? Well, you're standing there and you're doing the rebuking, and then somebody speaks, and you go, like, "Oh, I'm the one that's being rebuked now." It's a really sudden switch in their, in their experience. And so, I mean, we have to speculate here a little bit, but I think we can speculate probably pretty, pretty close. I just want to think what, what's happening in the disciples' thoughts. And we can say this, maybe, maybe, probably, they had very commendable intentions. Um, again, imagine this scene. I'm sure the disciples felt like, in some way, they were sort of the bodyguards of Jesus. Um, they're the ones to protect Him. Uh, they're the ones that, that, that are His disciples, His followers, the ones who are there for Him. So maybe they, 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 they felt... They needed to protect him. Maybe they knew he was tired um, and and, and these just more people coming along. So maybe they had had commendable intentions. Let's give them the very best thought. Maybe they had commendable intentions, but what they did not have, they did not have spiritual sensitivity. I want to say that again. Maybe they had commendable intentions, but they did not have spiritual sensitivity. You know, where where you're sure you're right and you're sure you can see clearly and it turns out you actually can't see at all. Jeremiah 17 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Brothers and sisters, what we should pray for on an every moment basis is, everyday basis is, Lord, help me to see things as they really are. Help my heart to be in a place where I never, never am void of seeing, um, discerning what should be done that would give honor and glory to Your name and that would look like Your Son, Jesus Christ, in every setting that I am. Oh, that's a prayer we need to pray, isn't it? They certainly did not have the right sensitivity here. They didn't understand what the Spirit was doing, how the Spirit would have them to, have them to go. And we're going to see in a minute they should have. Or maybe it was this. Maybe, maybe they just enjoyed the privileged circle. <laughs> this is our Jesus. We know that happened at, at times. Remember there was one time where they said, Hey, these guys are not like us. And should we go, you know, should we, should we go uh, uh, condemn them? And Jesus said, No, those who are not against us are for us. We know another time that, that John, uh, the, the, the old uh, son of thunder, wanted to go bring down fire from heaven on some people. So there was a certain sense for sure they really, and we just wait a minute, they really did think this way. They really did enjoy sort of their status in the kingdom of heaven. And they wanted to have their status go just as high as, stat, as, as, as the ladder would climb. They thought themselves to be something we're going to see here in a few minutes that's called pride. And they didn't want to be intruded by that which was less trivial and significant as the case with these parents and these children. Well, I won't speak a lot more about that, but that's certainly important, isn't it? When you see, when, you're, when, you're, when your interaction with others and really how your thoughts for the Lord is, is that you feel like you are in sort of some elite position, some privileged position, and you really enjoy that status, friend, you are not where God would have you to be. We're going to see this in just a minute. Or maybe it was just the setting. (laughs) This really is an important theological debate, isn't it? They really did need clarity. This is an age-old question, and Jesus can answer the question, and they have more questions, and they're good questions. And by the way, Jesus is going to leave, and they know that, and they're going to be in charge of, and not in charge, but they're going to be commissioned with, with leading the church. And this question needs to be answered. So maybe it wasn't that they were, they were, you know, just feeling elite. Maybe it was just, we want to figure out what's going on here. Can you guys just hold off? They would be making judgments on marriage and divorce for years to come. And it's all true. Yet they missed the point so bad that Jesus got very angry. Now, we got to ask this question, why is Jesus so angry? Well, we know a few things for sure. I'm gonna do this under the under the category of forgot, okay? Here's what we know they forgot. The disciples had forgotten who they were and where they had come from. In Mark 1, it talks about the calling of the disciples. These are the close people who were close with Jesus, right in his inner circle, commissioned for ministry to come. And you remember, they were fishermen. He didn't go to the university and, and call out the master's to and say, hey, finish that degree and then come follow me and we're going we're gonna to make a, a, a splash. friends. He, he goes really to the most base and the lowest place and he calls these fishermen, again, these uneducated, these um, dependent on uh, on the winds blowing the right way and the water they can't see under producing fish every day and then bringing it to this really smelly location and cutting these fish up and sucking their guts out and, 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 and taking them to the market and selling them and then going rinse and repeat day after day after day. This is not a glamorous place. This is not the the, the, the armor of Rome or the halls of Greece. These are just plain old fishermen in Judea. Remember, can anything good come from these areas? They had forgotten who they were and they had forgotten where they came from. To where they were ready to hold off People that are just like them, but in their mind, they're not like them anymore. Oh, friend, we must battle pride. We must. The the greatest battle of our life is the battle with the flesh, is the battle with the self. The pride that can show up in so many different ways. And one place that pride will show up is when we forget who we are and which we came. Friends, we are all the recipients of sovereign grace that we did not deserve, that we did not earn. We didn't just learn to say, I believe that Jesus died and rose again and that I want to follow Him. God wrote that into our hearts. Flesh and blood that reveal it. But my Father which is in heaven gives us the grace of faith, the grace to believe in Jesus Christ, the grace to follow Jesus Christ, the grace to, be, to, to, to have this amazing anchoring gift called hope that lies beyond the grave, the grace to see things as they are, the grace to love, the grace to forgive, the grace to grow, the grace that, that just floods our lives. It all comes through grace. We must not forget who we are, and where we came from, and by the way, what, they were, what we are called to do. So these fishermen were called by God, by His grace, to keep fishing, but to turn their direction from the seas to the land. And their call, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And so here these men come and they're dirty, and they're screaming, and they're thrusting forth their children, and they go, that's not the people we're fishing for. We want to know about what Hillel thought, and is it Shomel, forgot who the two were, that were battling over divorce and remarriage back centuries before. So are we in this camp? Are we in this camp? We, we, we really care. They forgot what they were called to do, who they were, where they had been. Then secondly, they had forgotten the teachings of Jesus. Remember, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus brings the disciples before him, and he begins to teach them. And the most important words, the beginning words, he teaches them what the blessed life is. And right there, front and center, is blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Friend, the teachings, the words of Jesus matter. The words of Jesus are meant to instruct us, to inform us, to guide us, to lead us into how we live They're not just words to hold. They're not just words to say we we have truth. The words of Jesus are brought to us that they might infiltrate every part of our being and then come out of our pores and come out of our reactions, come out of our words, come out of our deeds. So when there is an opportunity for mercy right in front of them, they say, we don't want mercy right now. But Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Have you forgotten the words of Jesus? Are the words of Jesus... Uh, front and center in your thoughts, in your actions and interactions. <laughs> Next, thirdly, they had forgotten the example of Jesus. Remember, it's a privilege to walk with Jesus. It's a privilege for you and I to have God's Word to be able to walk through the life of Jesus from the Gospels, that we might see who Jesus is. Do you remember the time when, in Matthew 9 when Jesus sees, He's looking out, and He sees all these multitudes, and they're scattered like sheep Without a shepherd, what was his response? Did he turn and walk away? No, no, no. It says Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw this multitude. And so he then he will really call his men to go and preach the gospel to them. But he's moved with compassion and he urges his disciples to pray and he says, look there, you see that? That is a harvest. Now, it didn't look like a harvest. It looked like a bunch of peasants who were scattered and loud and noisy and, 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 and annoying, no doubt. Jesus says, I see a harvest. Indeed, I see a ripe harvest ready to be plucked. Pray that the Lord would send laborers to the harvest. So instead of representing a compassionate God, they instead were representing a standoffish. They instead had a standoffish and elitist attitude. Next, this is really important. They had forgotten the weightier matters of the law. Again, these are the words of Jesus. When Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, he condemns them for many things. But here's what he says. He says, you have forgotten the weightier matters of the law. Now, about weightier matters, is he, is he saying that there are some things in his law that are more important than others? No. All this law is good and right and just. just. In fact, he'll say later, he go, you should have done this one and not have undone the other one. So all the law is important. But the law is a foundation. It it always has. So um, the law being kept without the heart is not being kept. Does that make sense? So you can obey the law and still disobey the law. You got that? Does that make sense? The, The core of the law. In fact, you can all sum it up in one thing. is to love. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And I was like it to love your neighbor as yourself. And so he says, you have forgotten the weightier matters of the law. What is that? Judgment. Doing the right thing. Walking in a just way. And mercy. And faith. You should have done these and not left the other undone. So what is the weightier matters? The weightier matters are the foundational matters. Every. Thing that we do in service to Christ must arise from faith, from trusting Christ and loving Jesus Christ and honoring Jesus Christ. It must arise from mercy. We have received mercy and so we love others because we are ourselves the recipients of mercy and from justice we want to do the right thing because God is just and God is right and in God's justice and righteousness, God even, took, even condemned his own son because his own son was buried bearing sin by imputation. And so God so committed to justice that God killed or God slew his own son. He poured the judgment down upon his own son because his own son was bearing sin. That's the weight of the law. And they forgot it. And then finally, this is most likely why he got angry. This is certainly true. They had forgotten what he had just told them. I emphasize just. So right before this, in Matthew 18, and in, I think it's actually in Mark 9, in this passage, right before this, there was another angry scene. But it wasn't Jesus angry. It was the disciples angry. And they're not angry with the multitudes. They're angry with each other. And they are disputing much among themselves. Who will be the greatest? in the kingdom. You remember what Jesus does there? Jesus calls for a child to come and he places this child in their midst and he says, you must become like this child. And whoever offends a child that believes in me, I think it's where he said a millstone should be put on their neck or something strong like that. Okay? So he talks to them about this very thing, and the very next scene, they've already forgotten it. Now, now, do you ever hear the word like that? Is that how the words of Christ come to you at times? Yeah, I know, we, we, we need to be nicer to, to, to kids, We need to act more humble and all this stuff, and that's really important. And, and what about divorce and remarriage? Get, 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 get away, get away, get away. I've got a very important question So wait. I just forgot what he had just taught them. But friends, the words of Jesus, again, yes, they're important, but it's more than important. They are everything. Jesus really meant what he said. And so he will repeat it right here one more time. He says this time, not only must you welcome them, but you must become like them. If you're not like them, You don't have any part with me. So if you're shunning them, this is a problem. Let's read what he says. Suffer little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily, truly, I say unto you whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not. Enter therein. Is this elitist attitude? Is this, or, or whatever you want to call it, is this, 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 this standoffishness? Is this forgetting of mercy? Is this important? You better believe it is. He says, know this. If you don't receive the kingdom like, like these, these children do, you don't receive it at all. It's not yours. Unless you become like this little child. I think there's some shades of John 3 here, aren't there? Remember Nicodemus, who is learned. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a, um, a master of the law. And yet Jesus will say, Nicodemus, that will not do you one ounce of good. Not one ounce. Nicodemus, you have to be born again. You have to be completely made over and new. All your understanding, all your knowledge is worthless. You have to be born completely again. You have to be made a completely new creature. And then he'll add a little bit here on top of that, and you must become like a little child. Now, there are lots of thoughts that we could think, and maybe you know, you may be wrestling your little child today in the service, go, I don't know about all this. You may gotta be uh, snotty and, and, and make tantrums and demand food. And well, think of your children in the best light for a moment really think of them in the best light. I think what he's saying here in a lot of ways is is this word simple. Think think of the wonder that you can bring to your little child's life. I say it all the time, stop buying presents for your children, just get boxes. Right? Give boxes and then grow their imagination. Get boxes and then get in the box with them. Right? Right? children are filled with wonder when their parents say, I want to show you something really neat. The disciples had seen the kingdom as something that just belonged to them. They weren't weren't thrilled with the kingdom anymore, were they? They were filled with maybe their place in the kingdom. But they had lost the sense of wonder that they were with Jesus and the kingdom had become a point of pride. (laughs) We said it this morning when we started. I said, I want to read you Ephesians 2 first because we cannot, we cannot, we cannot sing these words, I stand amazed and not be amazed. We can't, we just can't do it. And yet, friends, oftentimes that's how I sing that song. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean, and just sort of go through my motions. Friends, a little child is perpetually filled with wonder at whatever the parent shows them, however they lead them. And that's how the kingdom of God is. And, friends, listen, I have a terrible imagination. I just say, well, there's a box figured out. And they're still thrilled with it. They were back then, anyway. But, friends, the glories of the kingdom, the glories of Jesus Christ, the provision that He makes for us, the goodness that He has. It, it, Solomon is nothing in comparison to the half that was never told about him. He's nothing. Solomon is nothing in comparison to the glory of Jesus. Go back and read 1 Kings 1-10 through again and just understand 1 Kings 1-10 through is saying, Solomon was this glorious one, That silver meant nothing to him. He didn't need silver. Are you kidding me? Silver was trash to him. He was so glorious, but Solomon is sort of like Jesus, but in a very sinful and small way. But Jesus, the glory of Jesus Christ, the glory of God, never really Runs out. Grace abounding to sinners that will perpetually abound to sinners, a fountain of grace and love and goodness and light and inheritance that is given to us freely by grace. Stand, live in wonder as a child would live. And then a part of that wonder is if God, if if you are like this, then you can do anything. So it's this dependence, it's this trust that is unmitigated. He says, This is how we have to live. When I'm with you, Lord, I'm okay. <laughs> when I'm not with you, I'm not okay. Lord, I don't mind putting my hand into your hand for you to lead me. I depend upon you. I'll take what you receive because you're good. This is what he, what he means when he says to us, You must become like a little child. So there's a message there to the disciples that dominates this, this scene. There's also some real children here and real parents, and, and a real Jesus is a real historical site. And so, let me just keep moving quickly and, and look at the rest of this. Next, I just want to think about these faith filled parents for a moment. I'm looking at a congregation that is filled with children, it's filled with children of all ages. And when I think about this, I think. understanding that God is sovereign and He's going to do His work, but I think about this because He gives us responsibility. I think we can't mess this up. We cannot mess up this moment in our church's history. God has given us by His grace a church that is filled with children. And God, by His grace and by His perfect covenant-keeping being he will call all those to himself that he has known and loved before the world began. And he calls us to be responsible, to to, to be responsible as stewards of the gifts that he has given us. And the calling is to bring our children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, trusting in him to do his work of grace. But I think we can learn a lot from these parents here. And it's very simply this, Friends, these parents were filled with faith in Jesus Christ. They were willing to be honestly shamed by people who really just their peers. Again, they're stretching stretching forth their hands to Jesus. And what does that really say to us? It says to us, I don't know how much they fully understood this, but here's the reality. This is what Jesus wants us to see. He is the only one who can bless. Okay? You need to understand that you cannot bring converting grace to your children. You can't. You you can love them, you can teach them, but there is only one person who can truly bless your children. The blessing of them saying from the heart, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that He died for my sins. And that He rose again from the third day, And that my heart's desire, whatever it means, I don't even understand what it means yet, but my heart's desire is that I want to follow Jesus. The most blessed words that ever be stated. Only Jesus can bless with those blessed words. So therefore, here's the application. Be like these parents. (laughs) Okay? Here's the application for us today. Take your children to Jesus. That's your, that's your main calling. That's everything. There's one thing you give your children. Now, let's, let's think about it. For a well, think about all the things we give our children. Think about all the things we take our children to, whether metaphorically or physically. We are constantly taking our children somewhere. Disney. <laughs> or maybe we're just taking our children I wanna, maybe we're kind of like the disciples and we're actually rebuking ourselves, children and saying, just, just go watch TV. I've got to have some, some quiet, right, for a while. But every moment, every day, we are taking our children somewhere. We're taking them to places or to things that we think will bless them. and Maybe they will. Maybe we have faithful people here. We're taking them to books, taking them to museums, taking them to the park, taking them to supper, taking them to church. We're taking our children somewhere all the time and unless you're just a, a scalawag, you're taking your children to somewhere that you think will bless them. So let this be said loud and clear. There is one who is guaranteed to bless. And only one. So take your children to Jesus. Really, three applications. What do I mean, take your children to Jesus? There's not not a coast over in Judea somewhere you can go. First of all, take your children to Jesus as a priority. So wherever Jesus is, wherever He is, and He's told us where He'll be, Jesus is found in the house of God. Right? Jesus is found in this Word. So take, make it a priority. there's anything we're going to do, we're going to take our children to Jesus as a priority for what we do, activities that we do in life. Okay? Secondly, take your children to Jesus, I don't even know what the right word is, in life moments. It's about Conversation. Now there are clearly times. There's been this has been over I think, at times. You know where you, you every moment becomes a gospel moment. It, it's impossible. It's impossible. You, you will drive your children nuts and yourself. There's times you go, get your tail in the car. <laughs> We're going to go. All right. And, and said in a very sanctified way. I mean, <laughs> and your head and the rest of your body too. <laughs> but 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 we must regularly. We must regularly take our children to Jesus in conversation. I don't mean we're banging Jesus like a a hammer hitting a nail. You're nothing like Jesus. Be like Jesus. That's not what I mean. But what I do mean is that there are anxious moments. There are fearful moments. There are sinful moments everywhere in your children's life. And they will interpret those somehow, and they'll most likely interpret them through how you handle the same kind of moments. The same sinful moments, the same angry moments, the same fearful moments. They're going to interpret life how you handle those moments. So take your children to Jesus in those moments. I know that you are scared right now. Did you know that there were some scared people who took their children to Jesus, and he took them up in his arms and blessed them? I know that you're angry right now. Here's the thing. Anger will, anger will destroy you. And yet here's the thing. You don't, you don't have the ability to stop being angry, not completely. You can kind of change the behavior, but you can't stop being angry. But it's going to destroy you. It will. If you, keep, if you grow up as angry as you are right now, you will do angry things that will destroy your family, that will destroy your life. And you're really helpless to overcome anger but can I tell you about Jesus who could touch someone and they would be healed? Can I tell you about Jesus who forgives angry people and teaches, and then teaches them how to be filled from the very inside of their being with mercy and forgiveness and forbearance? Friend, take your children to Jesus in conversation. If it's only... Bless it! You've done it again. I'm fixing to bless you. I'm afraid. I'm afraid they'll never see Jesus. I, I don't mean. I don't. not the way that sounded. I mean they'll never see an accurate picture of Jesus more than they will see it from your from your display. Okay, and then finally, take your children, Jesus, just like they did, <laughs> in prayer. Bless them, Jesus. Bless my child. Jesus, I'm coming to you. I know you're talking to somebody about divorce right now, but I am coming to you. I'm saying, please, please, bless my I know they're asking too, but I'm asking you, bless my child. Jesus, bless my child. Only Jesus can bless. So the intensity of these people who are thronging around Jesus, pushing past the line to get in front of the line of McDonald's, <laughs> run that way to Jesus in your prayers. Okay? Now, let's close for real. There's been that very angry Jesus, fervent anger, yet the scene closes with fervent blessing. I'm not making this up. The word, let me just read it, and he took them up in his arms. So he turns from this angry display, you've got to be like these kids or you will not know the kingdom. And he Took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. And the word blessing there with an extra adder on there really means fervently bless them. Fervently bless them. Jesus prayed over these children. We sang the song earlier, only Jesus, only Jesus could do helpless sinners good, right? Well, let me tell you, friends, the Bible's record is clear. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glories, always responds to faith. You know why? Because He's the one that gave it to start with. But He always does. He always responds to those who call on Him for mercy and for blessing. I didn't read too much of this. I'm not saying that if you ask Jesus to save your child, He's guaranteed to do it. He, 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 didn't, obviously he, didn't, he didn't hold every child in this scene, probably. He's sovereign. And He's good. And those who call upon truly for mercy, He always. He always responds. You see, his heart is drawn to bless those who are in great need of blessing and who call upon him for blessing. Again, you can't overdo this. He doesn't just bless them. You see, this happened a lot in India. Um, And it's it's very interesting saying um, these very pitiful poor people, sick much of the time, um, they would come to the services to hear the preaching, and they would be members, and... um, and some of them would be sort of loud, and, and, and it would be kind of annoying, honestly, because you don't understand what they're saying, and you're talking to somebody else, and they're, they're trying to grab your arm, and, 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 and they were coming for prayer, always. And then there would always be a few who would just sort of linger off to the side, no matter how long you, you, you were conversing with somebody else, they would just linger and linger and linger and linger and linger. They wanted the same thing. Will you, will you pray and bless my mother? Will you pray and bless my child? Will you pray and bless me? And I just love that scene, Right? And of course we say, sure, I'll pray for you right now. And Jesus does that. Jesus takes them in His arms. It's not just a superficial thing. Yeah, bless them, bless them, bless them, bless them, bless them. And bless all the people in the world, Lord. That's not what He does. He takes them, individuals, takes them in His arms, puts His hands on them, and He blesses. What a picture of Jesus Christ. Friend, again, you have a high priest who is touched. You have a God who cares. His compassion is not fake. I hope you're getting this. There is no one too small, there is no one too insignificant, there is no one too much of a peasant, there is no one too sinful, there is no one that is too outside the lines. The care and the compassion and the salvation and the blessing of Jesus Christ, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord for that. People like will need to hear that, don't they? When they're struggling with pain and wondering, is my salvation really real? I'm coming towards death, and do I do I really know the Savior? Here's he what we need to hear: Well, there is no one too insignificant for Jesus. No one. He stopped an age-old theological debate to take some little kids into his arms to touch them and bless them, he will do the same for you. Now, I'm going to close the speculation. Okay, That's not a great way to preach. I don't do it much. But, but the question was raised last week. As we were in this conversation about this. It was, um, it was uh, well, if Jesus blessed them, what did he say? I'm, well, how do you answer that? Or oh, we can't answer that fully, but, but one brother said this. It was great. He said, he said well, one thing we could do is we could look at how Jesus blessed other things in the Bible. So maybe Jesus maybe Jesus prayed this way. Maybe Jesus said, Lord, bless them to be poor in heart. Bless them to mourn over their sins. Bless them to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Bless them to show mercy. Bless them to be peacemakers. Bless them to rejoice when they will be persecuted. Maybe he prayed like John 17, Father... I will that, not that they come uh, to be kept out of the world, but that you keep them in the world. I will that they would come and be with me where I am that they see my glory. Maybe it's a prayer like that. That's how Jesus prayed. Well, can you imagine any greater blessing for your children than that Jesus prayed that kind of way for them? He really is an intercessor. He really is. So when Jesus blesses, he blesses in the best way possible. Friend, take your children to Jesus there's no one too small, there's no one too insignificant, and so may we interact with others in the same demeanor, the same way that Jesus displayed in his glorious scene. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, O God of heaven and earth, that you have hid these things from the wise and prudent, and has revealed them unto babes for so... It seemed good in thy sight, O Father. And so, Father, I pray right now for every child in this building and every adult. Would you bless them? Would you bless them to hunger and thirst after righteousness? Would you open their eyes to the glory of the kingdom of God that they would enter the kingdom with wonder that would never perish? Father, would you cause them to see your Son and to see Him as He really is, and to serve Him, and to love Him. Lord, would You keep them from sin? Would you, would you protect them from the idols of this age? Would You protect them from the lies of Satan? and Would You protect them from the glamour of these perishing things that look so shiny in our midst, that they may see the true goodness, and the true riches, and the true glory? Would You bless in this way, Father? I pray in Jesus' name, and amen.